You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their You got Rommel yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Interesting weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee time. Well, interesting on this end time. Big weekend uh, for University of Tennessee athletics time. Orange and white weekend time. Normally I'd be all over that, but uh, whew. guys, interesting weekend time. But that's okay because we got a lot of guys on this team time, and it's a damn good team time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a beautiful, sunny, just gorgeous Monday here in God's Own, Knoxville, Tennessee. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope your weekend was great. If you were able to get over to Neyland Stadium for the Orange and White game, good for you. You were able to do something I was not. Had a really, really interesting weekend. Y'all don't really care about that, but uh, I feel like I should explain it, so I'll do that here in just a second. Um, but before before all that, though, I should bring in who I'm talking to in this episode. And if we're going to talk Tennessee football, we're going to talk orange and white game, and we're going to talk a little bit of Tennessee recruiting, there's only one place to go for all that, and that is, of course, across town to the clown car full of children uh, that is the home of Ryan Callahan. And Ryan, my man, what's going on? Uh, not much, man. Just uh doing doing a little better i guess than you've been the past few days um but overall not bad yeah i'll i'll get i'll, I'll get this out of the way real quick so um we were going to have a a saturday we didn't do our end of the week pod last week cuz we were going to do a saturday post game pod for after the orange and white game right why talk about a game and then like a spring scrimmage and then 12 hours or 24 hours later it's meaningless so we were going to do something saturday night uh and then i woke up about well, actually, I didn't go to bed till about 2 or 3 o'clock Friday night, Saturday morning, because my wife had gotten really sick, uh, which what I thought was a stomach bug, because that's been going around. Uh, and then I woke up about 4 or 4.30 and also uh, had a horrendous, horrendous stomach issue, stomach bug, something. Uh, we, but we both had it, so I, I think it was, uh, we think it was food poisoning. And um, it's three days later now, and, and I'm out of bed, um, and I can digest simple food, which puts me one up on my wife. So if you think this sounds and looks bad, you should see and hear the other guy. That's even worse down there. Uh, it's been a rough, rough, rough weekend here. And for the first time since, in, I guess, maybe 17 years or 16 years, I missed the orange and white game, uh, which was just obviously not what I wanted to happen. But uh, nonetheless, it happened. I've been able to go back and watch it since then so I can discuss it with you. Uh, but more, much more importantly, uh, Ryan and Patrick and Grant were all there, and they were able to see it live. So they were in the stadium and could see some things that I probably watching it, um, like y'all, some of y'all did just on, on TV, uh, was not able to get. So this will be a good conversation to have both ways now. Ryan, wh- what did you take away from the game? Actually, first off, before we do that, before I ask you about the game, I, I said I was going to mention this really quickly. Um, just a-, a quick shout out to the Tennessee men's tennis team, which defeated Florida last week, uh, which had been undefeated, uh, ranked number one nationally, had not lost in the SEC. Uh, Tennessee upset Florida and won the SEC tennis championship. So congrats 
uh, to those guys, uh, to, to Woodruff and his guys. That's a, that's a big-time win for them going into the NCAA tournament. And, hey, they're legit national title contenders. And so is the Tennessee baseball team, which has gone up from fifth to fourth in the polls after a, uh, a weekend series win at Texas A&M, a 20-7 win on Sunday. Uh, I thought that team might be a little bit angry after the way it lost that second game of the doubleheader Saturday, and it came out cooking. Uh, in the final three innings of that game Sunday, scored 15 runs, hit six home runs, just obliterated A&M down the stretch uh, for, for a good win. And that, that, that A&M team has been to 13 consecutive NCAA tournaments too. So uh, that's a really good coach down there. It's a good program. Uh, and they're showing you how rough life is in the SEC uh, because they've played nothing but top 10 teams since the SEC season started, and they're like 4-12 and 12 in league play. But they're a good baseball team. Uh, Tennessee and others in the league right now are just better. Um, but so shout-out to, to both of those teams, uh, all those guys, uh, Woodruff, Vitello, those guys, they got some good things going on. Didn't want to not mention that. But, Ryan, what was your takeaway from the orange and white game? Because we saw a lot of points, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean a lot, does it? Yeah, I, I think you really have to take what happened Saturday with uh, with a grain of salt. Just knowing the, the format of the game, uh, knowing the limitations of this roster right now, how many guys have been out recently. You know, this is a this is the Tennessee defense that didn't have uh, you know Darrell Middleton and Jeremy Banks and you know, several guys that that will be available in the coming weeks and months that that will make this team look a lot different. Uh, those suspended guys, Isaac Washington, Aaron Willis. Martavius French, you know, who knows how they might factor in. Uh, so you got you got to take all that into consideration. Plus just the, the simple fact that it's a spring game and you're not doing a whole lot schematically. So you're not dialing up a lot of exotic blitzes or anything like that. I mean, there, there's, there's so much that, uh, that, that goes into all of that, that you, you always take the, the spring game uh, kind of uh, as what it is. It's a, it's a dog and pony show for the most part, but when you when you look at what Tennessee's offense did, it, it's also hard not to be impressed at least a little bit by the fact that this is an offense that struggled to score at all uh, in some games last year. And with a, a new system, uh, with an added transfer quarterback in there, uh, in Hendon Hooker, with, with some additional talent, that uh, some younger guys stepping forward, that even after losing some guys, they had an offense that put up 70 plus points on, on Saturday and, and didn't have a, a whole lot of trouble with, uh, with ball security. You had the one interception returned for a touchdown by Warren Burrell. Uh, but otherwise it was a day pretty much controlled by the offenses and in a, in a confusing format <laughs> of all the orange and white games. Uh, I've seen this one was the hardest to keep track of who had the ball because the teams really weren't um, that was a little confusing. It was a little confusing yeah. at times because you had teams, you had multiple players playing for multiple teams. Yeah, you had the the offense in orange and the defense in white, but that didn't mean the defense was the white team on the scoreboard. The the first team that got the ball was the orange, and then they just alternated possessions from there, and that made it tough to figure out uh, to the point that the score on the on the scoreboard inside the stadium was wrong for most of the game based on the official stats that they were keeping up in the press box. Uh, so they they were just sort of having to tell people ignore what you see on the scoreboard. That's not right because they lost track at a certain point of who had actually scored yeah. uh, for on which team. So uh, so when you, both teams though combining for more than seventy points, having that kind of day in a shortened second half. On top of that, if you, if you played more of a full game, it would have been more points than that. Uh, but they they kind of running clock in the second half and then kind of cut things short there at the end with a nice catch by Cedric Tillman just decided to end it there and call it a day. So when you, when you take all that into consideration, good day for the offense. They've clearly gotten that 
system installed and, and even if they ran some pretty basic stuff Saturday, got some confidence, got some things going, and, and it seemed like a, a smooth day operationally on, on that side of the ball. And on defense, you got to wonder just how many playmakers does this team have? You know, some of them were missing Saturday on top of the guys that I mentioned. Byron, Byron Young was not out there. Uh, that's a guy we heard a lot about throughout the spring that really generated some buzz uh, as one, maybe one of Tennessee's best pass rushers. So you take him out of the equation. That's one of the reasons they maybe didn't get a whole lot of pressure on the quarterbacks. And uh, and so you put it all together, and it's it's a team that clearly still has some issues, but a team that also looks better offensively than it did a year ago, and that's that's not a bad place to leave it. Uh, coming out of spring practice, you at least have something to build on here going into the offseason. Yeah, we need to get a couple things out of the way here quickly. And for those of you who wonder why we're not focusing ex- exclusively on quarterbacks right now, we're going to do that here in a little bit. We know that – that's what everyone wants to discuss. We know that's the top thing on everyone's minds. And and, and I'll warn you, uh, you might not love everything that you hear, uh, some of you, d- during that portion of the podcast. But uh, we're always going to come right down the middle and shoot you straight here, it's at least how we see it uh, individually uh, here as members of, of GoVoss 24-7. But we will have that discussion here uh, in a little bit because Tennessee's also had an addition uh, to the to the quarterback mix, which is a, a pretty prominent name, uh, one that a lot of people around recruiting circles, uh, especially people up in the the Big Ten now after past after the past year will know. We'll talk about that more here in a minute. Um, but let's talk globally about the game first off, and and the way that the offense just marched. You know, can you call it a march when it's like a lightning sh- strike offense like that? It's almost like it. You can't even really say march. It's not like paper cuts. It's like trying to throw haymakers all the time. Um, but when you play a really up-tempo style, uh, that's going to lead to more points usually. That's just the nature of things. And, and and more importantly than that, though, spring games are designed, generally speaking, to be very vanilla. You don't want to show a lot. And if you are going to keep things vanilla on both sides, anyone who has been around the game for even the smallest amount of time can tell you that helps the offense because the, the, the defense or the offense not knowing what the defense is going to do plays a pretty large part in the success or failure of most plays. And if the defense is not attacking a lot, if the defense is not able to really mix things up and get exotic at all, that makes it tough unless your defense is just physically more dominant than your offense in every way, which obviously at Tennessee right now is not the case. So the way that game was structured was always going to favor the offense. It just was. But to the degree that it did feature the offense dominating the defense, Ryan, where's the line here between – and this is a really tough question to answer, and I don't know that any of us can, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway because that's what we do here. I like to throw questions at you that you have a hard time answering. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> where do you draw the line between, hey, man, that offense could be okay to, boy, that defense is crap. Where do you find that line? Yeah, I, I think, I think first of all, I, I don't know that Tennessee is going to have one of the best offenses in the SEC this year, you know, just based on what we saw Saturday. Now, now there are some legitimate things to be optimistic about if you're a Tennessee fan, because I, I think the running game and the running backs have looked pretty good. Uh, and we've seen them a couple of times now, I, you know, they obviously mixed, mixed in some different guys and, and shared the wealth that running back, but Jabari small had, had a solid day. Uh, Tyon Evans even got in there briefly and, and scored a touchdown at one point. Uh, D Beckwith had, had his moments, you know, all those guys kind of got some work and it looked, looked pretty good and, and looked good in the open practice a, a couple of weeks ago. So I, I think you feel better about that group than you probably did going into spring. 
and, and the receivers, you know, a bunch of different guys made plays, including Jack Jancic, the walk-on. It was kind of the talk of the day. Hey, Ryan, where, uh, where, where'd he go to high school? I, I believe that would be Knoxville Catholic. Yes, it was. Go ahead. Um, but uh, you had to mention that. But uh, but he, but he had a good size walk-on receiver, obviously son of former uh, former Vols assistant, defensive coordinator, uh, John Jancic. So, so he, and he was back in, in the stands for that, if you didn't see that on social media. Uh, Dad got to make it in to to see his son's big day in the spring game. So that's uh that, that, that was fun for them, but you know, a lot of, a lot of playmakers there that, I, you know, some guys that flashed uh, not everybody uh, had, had a big catch, but, the, but, you know, Bayless Jones had a touchdown and uh, got the ball to, to, to Jalen Hyatt a few times. Jimmy Callaway had a nice player too. You know, they, they mixed it around and showed they've got some weapons there and still, still need to continue to improve that group. But I think enough to, you saw enough Saturday to see kind of the makings of an offense that could certainly be more, more exciting than what Tennessee put on the field last year uh, at the very least. But is that going to be an offense that goes out and, and duplicates what say Ole Miss did last year, where they were able to go out and put up 50 plus points a few times and, and upset some teams by just simply outscoring them. Are we going to see that this fall based on what we saw Saturday? I'm, I'm still a little skeptical that they've, made that much of a difference, uh, that much of a leap already in, in one off season. That's the goal. I think that's how Tennessee's going to have to win some games this year. Maybe it's just by simply outscoring some teams. Yeah, that, and, we, and we need to be clear about that too, Ryan. I think we need to be very clear about that to people that, that Tennessee's designs on winning games this season are, it's not going to be at all about kind of physically being better than opponents or, or anything or shutting them down. It's going to be about trying to win a shootout every single week. That's going to be. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that's going to be how this team's going to try to win games. It's it's going to probably have to be how they how they win some of these games. Uh, now now that said, not not every SEC team is is likely to go out there and put up a lot of points. So there there may be some games they they don't have to do that. But to to the to the degree that their defense struggles, and it's it's really possible at this. Defense could struggle uh, at, at times based on what we've seen so far. Uh, although, again, missing some key players at multiple positions, but to, to, the, to the degree they struggle, the offense has got to pick up the slack and uh, and find a way to just outscore teams. And and I think that's kind of how this team is sort of built on paper right now with what they've lost on defense and what they just what they need to address still, uh, you know, in the transfer portal even and and just getting some guys back. So. It, it's a it's a flawed team, and yeah, it's hard to really make much out of Saturday when when you kind of assess where this team is coming out of spring practice. But you've at least seen some progress. They've gotten their new systems installed, you know, pretty well. That not all of them, as Josh Heupel pointed out Saturday, they've not fully installed the playbook or anything like that. Uh, but they've gotten the basics in, kind of gotten the the idea of this tempo on offense that changes so much of what you do and it's and it's hard to keep track of as a writer in the press box so i know it's going to be tough for opposing defenses to adjust to the uh, to the tempo facing that uh every play yeah, throughout a game it, so it's faster than fast i mean you you talk about a, a lot of people run this tempo stuff but but hypo stuff when you look at plays per minute and everything and and all those metrics uh it, it's it's faster than fast it's it's really really fast yeah so that that's that's going to cause some problems and they, it, but, but again, Tennessee's got to be more efficient offensively if they're going to have that kind of offense that can put up 50 points uh, and, and win a game that way, they're going to have to be 
really good in the run game. They're going to have to, you know, really be efficient at the quarterback position in a way that they were mm-hmm. not at all last year. Yep. Um, so they've still got some strides to go, but I think clearly you saw the makings of an offense that should at least be better and at least give Tennessee a chance of maybe outscoring some teams and winning games that way this year. But yeah, to, to your point, that, that defense, what we saw Saturday, it's, it's concerning. I mean, what we don't know, we won't know until the fall really what the finished product might look like because so many key players were out this spring, but, uh, and, and they still might add some help that, that changes the, the dynamic of this defense entirely uh, if they can find some guys in the transfer portal. But they, they really need some help there because I think there's some, some serious concerns about what that group can do and just how many real difference makers they have on that side of the ball. And, and we should say the the defense did have a lot more what I would call key contributors out than the offense did. Now, the offense wasn't 100% either. I mean, I can tell you off the top of my head that, that Tyon Evans had one carry in that game. And he was dinged up, I believe it was an ankle, I believe it was, for, mm-hmm. for a lot of spring camp. And yep. I think if he's fully healthy, he's going to be a guy who is going to get a lot of touches in this offense. I still believe that. So, um, at the very least, he's a factor. I mean, whether he's like a star or just a pretty solid player, that remains to be seen. But I think he's at the. I think his basement is solid player. A uh, guy who's going to get the ball in this offense, and, and he had one touch in that game. So um, that's not something that that you know. It's not like the offense was was full go either uh, in terms of all its guys, but certainly it was healthier and had more people available than the defense did. There were some guys missing, sort of, and, and some guys dinged up at all the levels of that defense, and and it just that's a group that needs every hand it can get right now, and I think it's 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 pretty clear that there are there are some issues there. But we knew that. I mean, we knew that, right? Uh, we knew going into it that Tennessee at linebacker was in a tough spot. And, and then the defensive line, they're trying to adjust to a new way of playing. Um, they, they don't really have a dominant real edge rushing presence. You know, we'll see if, if one of the, you know, maybe, maybe Byron Young could do that. Maybe, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe. Well, it's, it's going to have to be Tyler Barron. I mean, obviously yeah, he's, he was the top guy Saturday and then and, he, and, and, he, and maybe, and maybe he's a guy who ends up being that too. I mean, we, we, we will see, but I mean, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is we know about those issues on defense and we're not saying they're not important because they very much are. Um, but I think it's in some ways probably easier to get a read on some things offensively because we saw more of the people who will be a factor on that side of the ball in the game, if that makes any sense. Does that make sense? It's been a long weekend yeah. for me. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, I, I think so. Yeah, no, the, the offense, we, we've got a, a – they're, they're more known commodities up there and and to the point that they didn't feel the need to play Cade Mays very much in the game Saturday. Mm-hmm. They, they let Jerome Carvin and Javante Spragans get a lot of work at, at guard with uh, with Mays not not playing the whole time. And and that that uh, that shows they've got some depth on the offensive line. So that that's, that's one – example of just how they I think feel a lot better about things on offense and at least have have the people in place to sort of know what they have uh you know the tight ends we saw Princeton Fant get involved in the passing game they've I think I think they feel better about that group now with Austin Pope back you've at least got some some experienced guys and and some some potential in the passing game there I think the staff likes Fant quite a bit so uh, that's a, a position maybe you get more out of this year the receivers again. You lose Josh Palmer, but still some young talent there. And I think I think Jalen Hyatt, Jim, Jimmy Callaway, definitely some excitement about those guys. And you know, even Anderson Kobe and and Walker Merrill, the newcomers, have, have generated some buzz. And then you throw them in with uh, uh, with with Valus Jones Jr. and so, uh, Cedric Tillman, who made a couple flashy plays Saturday. Uh, that, that nice catch in the end zone. Also had another catch that he kind of caught off a, off a tip by himself uh, in the middle of the field. That, that was a nice play. So. 
you've, you've got, you've got some weapons there on offense and, and, and obviously the quarterback situation got to figure that out. And we'll get to that in a minute, but the running backs have looked better. So yeah, there's a much better sense of where they are on offense. Whereas on defense, you hear Josh Heupel after the game Saturday, talking about how thin they are. He mentioned twice the word thin in relation to the defensive line. That's not what you want to hear about a group that's got five seniors who played a lot of football. A few of those guys could be done uh, if not for the free year of eligibility and, and they decide to come back. And so you've got some veterans there that, that bailed that position out from frankly being in a bad situation this year, if not for the free year from COVID. Uh, so, so you've got those guys and now you're hearing that's thin position. Uh, you're you're thin, dangerously thin at linebacker where they only had three or four scholarship guys out there at times this spring and, and didn't end with the best, it did not end with their best players on the field for the most part at linebacker because uh, most of their top or a couple of their top guys are out right now. And, and we'll see what that group looks like in the fall. And then the secondary, you know, okay there, but still need more depth and just need some uh, additional options that they count on that they can count on. So it's just not a, not a known picture quite as much in, 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 on defense at any position group. And they've got to get that figured out uh, aside from edge rusher, which I would say is, in a way, maybe the most known quantity among all the defensive positions because you at least have Tyler Barron and then the the potential of a guy like a Byron Young. You've at least got a couple guys there that you feel like you can maybe count on to some degree. All the other positions feel like they're still completely in flux, and that, that leaves the defense, you'd have to say, as, as the major question mark about this team that, that could really hold it back. Yeah, and I, that's true. I mean, and we, we should give some credit. I mean, Warren Burrell did have the, the pick six in the game. He had mm-hmm. a, a nice play there. Uh, and really kind of, you know, it was a ball that shouldn't have been thrown, but he did make a read on it, you know, broke on the ball, made the play, had a nice run and after give, for a touchdown. And give credit to Amari Thomas for pushing the pocket and getting in Hendon Hooker's face on the interception and kind of causing that throw. Uh, that In a game where they didn't have a whole lot of pressure, that one sort of stood out. So nice play by Amari Thomas. Again, a second-year guy. They need to step forward to kind of help with that defensive line situation. So if they, he can continue to do that, that's that's a good sign for them. And Warren Burrell, you, you know, that, that interception was just one play, but I think he's had a, a decent spring and kind of established himself as maybe that top challenger in that battle for the cornerback spot opposite Elante Taylor. Uh, if he can if he can lock down that position and kind of run with it, that's uh, that answers a big question for this defense. They need all the all the help at corner they can get, and he's not been quite that reliable the past couple of years. But third year in the program, it, it, it might be time for him to kind of had the light come on and, and under a new coaching staff seems to be sort of finding his footing now. And by the way, uh, side note, I'm never going to not laugh when I hear things like got right in hooker's face. Uh, I'm never, I'm never, I'm, I'm 10 years old. I will never, ever, <laughs> ever, ever not laugh at that. Uh, but speaking of hooker, speaking of the quarterback position at Tennessee, uh, obviously that's something a lot of people want to talk about clearly. Uh, so we will dedicate an, an entire segment of the podcast to talking almost exclusively about that. Um, because there is a lot to digest there. We saw a lot from a lot of those guys on Saturday, and now there's going to be one more added to the, to the mix going forward. So there's a lot to discuss there. But before we do that, we're a little overdue for a commercial break. So let's go, uh, let's go pay some bills, listen to products, uh, services, in-house ads, other fun things. And then we'll be right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago. During that commercial break, Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a beautiful, beautiful Monday afternoon here in Knoxville, Tennessee, joined by Ryan Callahan from across town there. Uh, at his uh, his home daycare center, the clown care or, or clown car full of children, home daycare center. I tell you, it's been a rough week, couple days. I, I can't even really speak English, but you're here with us, anyways, listening to this podcast, and we appreciate that. And you know what, guys? If you like listening to this podcast, maybe not the way that we introduce this segment, um, but generally speaking, you like this podcast. Go in there and take a minute out of your day, please. Right now, go hit the subscribe button on this podcast. Uh, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world, you can find uh, you can find a good podcast. You can cast a pod, find cast. You can find this podcast. Did I do that right, Ryan? Did I nail it? Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, please go take a minute out of your day and do that. And please also take a minute and, and just rate and review this podcast, guys. Nothing helps you more. Nothing helps us more than you helping us. I can't say anything, Ryan. This is like the worst we have ever had an intro to a segment <laughs> in the history of this podcast. In fact, it's so bad that we're not even going to go back and re-record it. We're just going to go ahead and play it so y'all can hear the rough version of what it sounds like sometimes when we stumble over our words. Uh, you know, I used to joke in the TV business uh, of being one take Wes, uh, and, and we're going to be one take Wes here, uh, but not in a good way, but we're just going to run through it. Guys, please take a minute out of your day, rate and review this podcast. Please hit the subscribe button. That, that, nothing that you can do right now would help us more than that. You can also tell your friends and family and all those fun things, but um, really, if you could go in there and rate and review, hit the subscribe button, that would help us out a lot. Please also go to govals247.com. Uh, you can always find a really good deal right there. Hint, hint, we might have something else later in the week uh, coming up with the NFL draft. Hint, hint, cough, cough, hint, hint. Uh, but there's always a good time to go to GoBalls247.com and check us out. We've always got the free trial going on. And then if you pay full price, you get the Paramount Plus access. We'll talk about that at the end. But there's just so many reasons for you to join uh, GoVols247, and please go do that. Ryan, we talked a lot about – the orange and white game in the, in the first segment, and we spoke more globally. Let, let's get down to the nitty-gritty now and talk about the quarterbacks. People want to talk about it. Um, that's clearly the thing that's going to be on a lot of people's minds because it's Tennessee quarterback, right? It's a very popular position uh, unless you happen to be the one who's playing the quarterback at Tennessee, in which case you are never good enough and because you're not Peyton Manning and everything sucks and is on fire. <laughs> 
But generally speaking, uh, it is a big topic, clearly, all the time. And in fairness to Tennessee fans, there have been a lot of not-so-great quarterbacks that have played at Tennessee recently. So, so I'm not going to – I'm just uh, I'm just breaking uh, I'm just breaking you in the kibbles and bits, guys. But generally speaking, uh, Tennessee quarterback, tough position to play, very prominent position, and right now a very open position. And I'm not so sure that anything from Saturday's game cleared that up at all. And, and I'll, I'll be honest about this, Ryan. I'm going to put my hand in the air, and I'm going to say this. If you go back and read our preview edition uh, for the orange and white game, we did a lot of preview stuff before the game and we talked about some predictions and, and my like biggest prediction would be that uh, one of the quarterbacks would go out there and have a big game and would make everybody disregard anything else that happened behind closed doors that they didn't see and anoint that person, the quarterback, the guy who had to be the starter, no matter what. And I got to tell you, um, the guy who I heard a lot being maybe third in the running for a lot of camp, uh, Harrison Bailey, had probably the biggest performance in the orange and white game. Uh, maybe not going with the ones a lot, but still put up the numbers. And that's you go on social media now, you see it. It's all over the boards. It's on our board. It's all over social media. And I got to tell you guys, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think you should go ahead and start running away with that just yet, should they? No, I, I, I definitely don't think so. And I. I no matter what came out of this, you know, if Hendon Hooker had been the guy that had put up the best numbers, I would have said, eh, people don't need to assume he's just going to run away with the job just because he looked good Saturday. I mean, regardless of who it was, I would have, I would be saying something similar because I, I don't think coaches put a ton of stock into what happens in a spring game. Now it's worthwhile from the standpoint of sometimes you, you do see some different stuff out of guys when the lights come on and their fans in the stands it is a little bit different environment on a, on a spring game day from just a normal practice. So uh, I, you put stock into it in that sense and, and doing it in front of people in front of cameras, that is a little bit different, but you're simplifying things so much. You're not facing really blitzes and, and pressures very much. It's, you know, again, very simplified schemes for the most part, sort of like an all-star game almost. I mean, not, not quite to that extent players are trying harder than that, but you're not doing anything to show, teams what you might run this fall so you're trying to keep it as dumbed down as possible and and not really do much and and so when you put it in that context plus what Harrison Bailey did a lot of it was against twos and threes you know he was throwing to walk on receivers in the case of the deep ball to, to Jack Jancic uh, and that was against uh, a, a reserve cornerback a walk-on cornerback I believe in that case um, so they're facing defensive backs and throwing two receivers that are not going to be on the field this fall and so the defense they're facing in that case, obviously not, not putting up more than token resistance, really. Uh, and, and in some of Harrison Bailey's biggest plays, he hit an open receiver downfield. He hit a wide-open Bayless Jones for a touchdown on a busted coverage, basically. Uh, he, he, he threw a nice ball in tight coverage to Jack Jansen for that deep pass. So he, not everything he did was a freebie by any means, and you still have to make the throw if you're a quarterback but he's going to face harder competition in the fall. Let's face it. And what we saw last year, I think is probably much more indicative of what we would see from him this fall than what we saw Saturday. I, I would not take Saturday as a sign that Harrison Bailey has suddenly turned the corner. The light has come on and he's ready to be the star that some fans have wanted to wanted to envision him being since he got on campus. I, I don't think that, but it was a good day for him. There's no question. And maybe it makes him more of a factor going into the summer, it maybe complicates things a little bit more, but so did the addition Tennessee just made to its quarterback room that we'll talk about in a minute. So I think you take it as what it is. It's one good day, 
but it's one day out of 15 that they had on the practice field this spring. And for the most part, there's a reason Hendon Hooker was running with the first team uh, to start off Saturday's spring game. He had had the more consistent spring. Brian Maurer had had his moments this spring, uh, again, not consistently enough, but he was kind of running with the twos. And Harrison Bailey was the third guy we saw out there at quarterback. So you don't always put a ton of stock into that. But in this case, I think that was a reflection of what they had seen throughout the spring. So now this puts maybe Bailey back in the mix more, but I wouldn't say it does much more than that. Yeah, I want to, I'll try to be, be like as soft as I can about this, or I'm trying to be real here. I, I'm not anti Harrison Bailey by any stretch of the imagination. I, I don't believe that he's a bad player. I've never believed he's a bad player. Hey, he might be Tennessee starting quarterback in the fall. We shall see. We don't know what the future holds. But I, I always want to be careful here because, you know, there are some people who just thought because of the recruiting ranking he came in with that he had to be the guy. And then for a while he was the guy not playing when the other guys were performing badly. So that made people love him even more. Like he had to be the guy. He has to be the savior, right? And people are just kind of waiting for the savior of Tennessee football. And they've put a lot on Harrison Bailey to do this. And if you just look at the numbers from the game, just look at the numbers. Um, listen, then it shows Bailey seemed to have the best day, right? Bailey was 12 of 15 for 260 and two touchdowns. Uh, the other guys weren't bad. Maurer, 9 for 15, 171 and a touchdown. Uh, Hooker, 10 for 14 for 111 and a touchdown. Also a rushing touchdown during the game. Um, and those guys were going against the maybe some of the, the starters a little bit more than, than Bailey was. But, but, but I'm not at all down on Harrison Bailey. I, I just... I always try to tap the brakes a little bit because I'm going to be honest with people. I've never really been wowed by him yet. Now, maybe he's just one of those guys who just kind of puts up steady numbers and you don't say, hey, man, that guy's awesome, but he just gets it done. That's fine, right? Because at the end of the day, the guy who helps his team win the most should be the guy who's out there. He doesn't have to be the guy who wows you the most. He's the guy guy who gives you the best chance to win. And if that's Bailey, then Tennessee should start Harrison Bailey. I, I just... I, I think people need to be careful here about just looking at spring game numbers and not thinking about the other points. And I get why people are scarred by all those years of hearing about how great Crompton and Garantano were on the practice field, and then they go out there on Saturday and they struggle. And, and people get numb to hearing these things, and I understand that. But I also think it's just as foolish to ignore everything that happened for the rest of camp and talk about just what you saw during the spring game. I, I don't, I, you know, there's got to be a line, a common sense line in the middle there. And, and so I, I think if if Tennessee was as sold on Bailey or any of these guys as some of the fans want them to be, uh, Tennessee would not have gone out and added Joe Milton just, you know, over the weekend. That would not have happened. I guess it was made official Monday. We've been telling you for a while, or at least Ryan, you have and others, that it was almost certainly going to happen. Um, but Joe Milton, Florida native, uh, was originally at Michigan, started some up there, had some struggles, uh, didn't wow a lot of people, but was a big-time prospect and a guy from Florida where Heupel and these guys coached for the last few years. So I don't think they're bringing in a guy like Milton because we know they need help at linebacker. We know they need help on the defensive line. We know, you know, even in the secondary, if it's the right guy, they could use somebody. We know there are areas on this team where if the right person comes along, like they, even if it's not the right person, there's areas where they got to take somebody because they need help in some areas. So they're not going to go at another quarterback just to do it. You know, I, I know these guys love offense, but they're not stupid. They know what else this team needs. And, and I got to be honest, Ryan, from the outside looking in, 
uh, and I'm by saying that I'm obviously not on the staff at Tennessee. Neither one of us are on you know on the staff at Tennessee. So let's say from the outside looking in, there's no way I'm bringing in Joe Milton if I think between those three guys right now I've definitely got my guy. Yeah, no, no question. And I think that's it's even after Saturday, no matter what you think of Harrison Bailey's performance in the spring game, I think that's 100% the case that they don't know that any of the guys they have right now is the answer. Certainly not long-term um, to the point that you turn down a guy like Joe Milton, who's got a couple of years of eligibility left if he wants them and, and has some experience at a power five school. He's, he started five games at Michigan last year, you know, had up and down results. Uh, didn't put up a lot of huge numbers was, was inconsistent and kind of faded toward the end of the year. It was a, it was a rough year for Michigan, frankly. So how much of that do you put on him? It's it's kind of like what Washington State probably went through in deciding whether to take Jarrett Garantano, right? There's some talent there, always was in Jarrett Garantano, but how much do you weigh weigh what Tennessee had around Garantano the past few years and how and how much of that was Garantano on his own? And so I think it's the same thing with Milton in a way, although I wouldn't put him in the same discussion with Garantano. I've seen some fans already kind of doing that based on the numbers. I don't think that's fair to say because you, with Garantano, the difference is you have a three or three and a half year track record to go by. You know what he was at Tennessee over a long period of time. Joe Milton started five games. Uh, he's a talented guy who finally got his chance last year, really. And it's absolutely possible he makes a jump from year one to year two, especially in a new system that's doing something very different from what he just did at Michigan with the up tempo and may, maybe that helps things and maybe Josh Heupel can can develop him you know having a, a guy like that with a track record of developing quarterbacks and, and he's a strong arm guy that can can sling it down the field and that's what this staff wants to do really so put really all that strong team, arm really strong arm for sure and, and a pretty good runner on top of that he's not quite the runner Hendon Hooker is but gives you some of that running ability too yeah that, you're, you're that, not you're not going to be at 6'5 245 yeah so uh so put it all together and there, there's a lot of reason to uh, that Frankly, just just from this from this day in late April, if I had to guess right now, I'd give Joe Milton probably the best odds of anyone in the field right now of being Tennessee's starting quarterback in game five, let's say, in the middle of the season. I think he eventually, in some form or fashion, might have the best chance of taking the job and running with it. Now, because he's arriving later and didn't get to go through spring practice, that complicates things a little bit. Does that give Hendon Hooker or Harrison Bailey a better chance of being the opening game starter? Maybe it does. Um, maybe it won't matter at all, but that's that at least makes things more interesting. So you're adding this guy going into May. He's got time to figure things out, but he doesn't get the spring practice to figure it out. And he's a he's a he's still a, an unknown a little bit, uh, a little bit of a wild card because you don't know how much of that talent that we saw coming out of high school he can uh, can sort of harness and. Uh, how much he can improve from last year, but he's talented enough and this staff knows him well enough from being in Orlando while he was in high school um, that, that there's a lot to like there and, and why not take a shot at it and add a guy to the room and see if he maybe makes your quarterback decision a little bit easier or turns out to be the guy for the next year or two. Yeah. Cause I mean, at some point, you know, you'll reach a go or get off the pot kind of time with, with some of this stuff. Cause you, you really don't want to be shuffling quarterbacks every single week. We, we know that. We know that's not something that's conducive to success, maybe unless you're peak Steve Spurrier. You know, that's something that's kind of hard to do. You don't see that a lot. Um, and, and and it's going to lead to a lot of jokes about the old dually sack of potatoes and everything. And, you know, but, hey, at some point, 
they're going to put a bunch of guys in this room, they're going to have them compete, and they're going to try to come out with a guy who's going to give them the best chance to win games. And, and my bottom line is I just don't think they'd be adding Milton. Uh, they'd only be adding Milton for, for one of two reasons. And it could be both, but it has to be one of these two reasons. Either they are not enamored with what they have now in terms of knowing, man, I definitely got my guy. Or two, um, I might have my guy, but this guy might be better. So it's got to be one of those two things. Might be both um, in, some, on, in some way. But it's got to be at least one of those two because there's no other reason to take him because that would be foolish. So I, I lean toward the fact that they, they saw enough over spring where they thought, you know what, these guys are, are all right. We can coach them up. We can do some things here. We got some potential. But I'm not totally wowed by any of them. And I know people get sensitive with Bailey. I know they do. And I understand that, and I respect that. I appreciate that. I, I really do. But I, I'm just being honest. I don't think they add Milton if they think any of those guys are just their stud. Yeah, and they they are still. I I think it's more of an unknown at this point sure. than that they just sure, think sure. Milton is definitely going to unseat any of them. But I think to their credit, I think first of all, it's important to know this has been in the works for weeks. This was not a yes. Uh, this was not something that Tennessee decided to do the final week of spring practice. Uh, that that staff and that quarterback room, frankly, has known that Tennessee was going to do this. So. I think that added to the sense of urgency for some of these quarterbacks already on the roster to make an impression before Joe Milton comes in, because who wants to be third at the end of spring and then have another guy come in and potentially leapfrog you on the death chart and bury you. And you've also got Caden Salter. Let's not forget returning from his suspension potentially in the coming weeks. Uh, We didn't get to see him practice at all this spring, but he's kind of the forgotten man at this point because we didn't see him for the, the past few weeks on the practice field. He's a wild card now in this race. You don't want to be at the bottom of the depth chart at the end of spring with those two guys being added to the race this summer, potentially. So uh, this has been in the works since probably early in the spring, I would say at least. And I think they decided pretty early on, frankly, that they needed to add somebody else to the mix if they could find someone. And I give them credit for for trying to address it because I'm not sure the former staff did quite enough when you look back to try to unseat Jarrett Garantano and to try to improve at that position. Um, for whatever reason, they seem to be willing to to stick with him. They did add Keller Chris that first year under Jeremy Pruitt, but you could certainly have made an argument either the past two years that they should have found a way to get something different in there, an experienced guy, aside from adding, obviously, Harrison Bailey in the 2020 class, an experienced guy who could come in and win that job, and they just never quite got that guy. And it, it, it obviously ended up costing Tennessee last year when the quarterback position was kind of a mess. So, yeah, and, I, um, so. I, and I can tell you, I can tell you very quickly exactly what happened last year with, with those guys in the quarterback situation that they, they were prepared to go. They were going to go get um, at least one, if not two, but at least one uh, fairly prominent transfer quarterback last year. And what happened was they made a horrible miscalculation because what, what happened was COVID shut everything down and for months, there were a lot of people who were saying there's just no way they're going to play this season. And a lot of people on Tennessee staff thought, well, if we're not going to have a season this season, um, you know, we're kind of in this for the long haul anyway, which at Tennessee is always kind of a miscalculation. But they, <laughs> but they thought that there, there might not be a season, so why would they bring in a transfer who would make at least one, if not two, other guys already go? Um, and then you might not have a season anyway. So mm-hmm. at that point, they made a – it was kind of a heads or tails deal, 
and they they chose tails and they should have chosen heads or, or or they chose heads and should have chosen tails. I mean, they just got it wrong. And they at least some of them that I've spoken with pretty high up in the program admitted that that they just they thought COVID might cancel the season and they didn't want to completely wreck that quarterback room for no reason because they they thought, you know what, if 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 we're not going to maybe have a season if we're only going to play like four or five games, if it's going to be a weird year, let's just go ahead and recruit somebody out of high school that we know we're going to have for multiple years that that won't necessarily scare off the ones we have now and they just got it wrong i mean that's, those 20 and, those 25 spots are precious so that's that's yes. absolutely a consideration and and they that's i can tell you that's exactly what happened because they were admitting that by the midpoint of the season i, I was talking to them behind the scenes and they were saying like well got that one wrong and they admitted it so i mean hey that's props to them for admitting a mistake but that's what happened there and you're right though right at the end of the day that's why i brought it up because your point is exactly correct they should have added one and they should have had more competition in that room and they didn't do it. And well, and they tried to get JT Daniels. They were at least involved there. And, you know, obviously he ends up in Georgia, you know, they bring him in who, who knows, maybe that helps to fix the problem and you're not in the situation now, but the bottom line is you're in this situation now, you know, they lost J, JT Shrout and Garantana this off season. So that added to the need for, for depth. You, you haven't replaced, uh, you haven't fully replaced those guys. You don't know yet what you have in, in Caden Salter, um, but I think they know enough to know that they can't say for sure that they've fixed that problem with just adding Hendon Hooker and Salter. So why not bring in another guy, try to turn over that room that didn't look very good a year ago, um, try to turn over as much of that room as you can. And, and, and you're assuming someone might leave at some point anyway, right? That's that's the only thing about this. I think people are maybe underlooking uh, or, or undervaluing is someone might leave anyway uh, this summer. And so if you're looking at, well, why would you need a fifth quarterback right now when there's so many other yeah, needs I on mean, this the, team? Yeah, I mean, the way things go, I think you would expect one to leave. It's just kind of yeah. the way of the world. So so Brian Maurer, Harrison Bailey, whoever it might be, someone might leave regardless. And if that's the case, you don't want to be stuck with just three scholarship quarterbacks or, or, or whatever the situation is and not feel great about any of them in that situation. So I think adding more depth, more competition, it's all smart anyway. And let's face it, I think there's a realistic shot. Joe Milton at some point ends up being the guy anyway. Uh, or at least has a real shot at, at being that guy. And we'll see We'll see how it plays out, but it makes it a more fascinating battle. And there's, like you said, Wes, there's just no way they'd be bringing him in if they didn't think there was at least a pretty good chance he, he can win the, win the job in, in the long run. Or maybe they just thought, you know what, Tennessee sort of needs four or five quarterbacks to get through a season now anyway. It's just sort of the way it's been going lately. So yeah. why not have another scholarship guy? You know, no offense to any of the walk-ons, but uh, maybe, maybe don't try to go down that route. Uh, Ryan, before we step out of here, anything else? I, I, I know that... Um, there was a lot of talk about who this staff was going to be able to get in for the orange and white game, uh, because I know there were, you know, it's always tough with spring games because it, you, there's only so many weekends that, con- that that every school can, you know, have their spring game, right? There's only so many weekends in a spring where you can squeeze in these games. And so there's always going to be a lot of people at the same time. Obviously Tennessee wasn't the only program that had a, had a game on Saturday. Uh, who are some of the guys that Tennessee was able to get in? And is there anything pressing or anything really interesting from all that? Well, we'll start on the transfer front, where uh, in addition to uh, to Joe Milton being in town over the weekend, as he before he announced his decision uh, Monday, he kind of revealed on Instagram that he was in Knoxville on Saturday, and he's he's been in Knoxville for a little while, so that was not a that was not a, a an earth shattering development there, but it further confirmed what people were uh, sort of trying to put back in the box last week after the reports that he was going to Tennessee. He, he tried to make it sound like, well, I'll be announcing it's either Tennessee or Washington State. It was pretty much Tennessee all along. I don't. But, I don't have my uh, IG in it ready yet. Yeah. So, uh, 
Uh, and it was a pretty low key announcement Monday morning, but yeah, he was not, not ready to announce that I, I guess just yet and tried to tried to sort of pump the brakes on that, but it was, it was a very poorly kept secret. So he was in town for the spring game, but so was another transfer target, uh, Texas linebacker, Jawan Mitchell. And, and that's definitely one to watch as well. Tennessee's been involved there for a few weeks since he entered the portal back at the end of March. And I, I think Tennessee, as, as things stand at the, at the, as the recording of this podcast, I think they're probably the favorite to land him. Uh, there's still some things I think they're kind of sorting through and, and checking into to make sure uh, it makes sense on on both sides because Tennessee has to uh, has to weigh the number of spots it has and the other needs it has and the other options that might come out there in the portal in the next few weeks. You know, there still might be some other guys that after wrapping up spring practice or having conversations with their coaching staffs at their current schools and deciding whether to enter the portal or not. And, and Tennessee's got to decide what based on what it might be losing itself you know they, they may not be done losing players to the portal um so is there another position they need to fully address more how badly do they need to address the linebacker position all those things got got to sort of sort through that in, in the next few days and, and see what happens but i do think there's a real chance tennessee could, could land him so that's one to watch for sure and, and getting him on yeah, campus and, with and, a big yeah i'm not saying that guy's a superstar but that guy's a pretty darn solid uh middle linebacker inside linebacker type and he's a guy who uh, I, I think would help Tennessee um, a, a good bit in the situation. Sure. Now he's a guy who, you know, he listen. He's bounced around some schools. There's no getting around that. So there could be some some red flags or at least red tape. You got to get around there. We, we'll see. I don't want to speak out of hand, but I I imagine when there's been that much movement, there's some there's some things going on there. But as a pure football player, uh, he would help Tennessee for sure. And, and, and yeah, junior college transfer, uh, went to Texas and, and played quite a bit over the past couple of years. So he's an experienced guy at the, uh, at the power five level, uh, much like Joe Milton and, and even more experienced than Joe Milton really. So if they can get in, like you said, not necessarily a guy you look at today and say, that's going to be an early round draft pick or anything, but led Texas, where Tennessee's, ta- led Texas and tackles last year. Yeah. But, but, but where Tennessee's roster is for sure. Even if, you know, even if he's not quite at that level, he he's an upgrade from a lot of the guys they have and would definitely have a pretty clear path to, to starting or at least playing a lot. So uh, it would, would be a pretty, pretty tough decision to turn him away if everything checks out, if you're Tennessee. So uh, that that's one to watch for sure. Uh, we'll see what other transfer options there are that, that emerge. Obviously Georgia wide receiver, Tommy Bush is still, uh, still out there, and, and I think a, re- a very real possibility for Tennessee. So uh, that's one to keep an eye on. Donovan Kaufman, the safety from Vanderbilt, is one that we've heard uh, heard connected to Tennessee. So still some other options out there in the transfer portal that, that Tennessee is going to be involved with. But but Jawan Mitchell, the one that's probably most pressing to watch that was at the spring game on Saturday. That Most of the guys that, that made it in, it's still a dead period, obviously. No one visited with with coaches. No one uh, got to really enjoy a true recruiting visit. They just got to go to the spring game, but did get some guys on campus. Caden Pope, one of their top in-state targets uh, at, at wide receiver, was in town. Uh, Jordan McDonald, uh, running back target from Georgia, made it in along with a couple of his teammates. Uh, Maurice Clipper, a, a, an offensive line target. And then those guys brought with them five-star defensive lineman who's the number one overall player in the 2023 class, uh, LT Overton, uh, is, is what he goes by LT. His name is, uh, Lebius, I believe it's pronounced, but he is from, uh, all those guys from Milton high school in the Atlanta area came up and, uh, and made the trip to Knoxville for the first time. And that's, uh, that's obviously a big get to get a guy like that on campus anytime. So a nice, uh, foot in the door there for Tennessee to maybe become more of a factor with the number one overall prospect in the 2023 class. And he just happened to come with a couple of guys you've already offered and, 
already been recruiting for a few months. Uh, Brody Foley, the tight end target from Cincinnati, back in town for the second time in a little more than two weeks. And, uh, and Grayson Morgan, in-state tackle, uh, made his first trip to Knoxville since getting an offer from Tennessee back in early March. Uh, Elijah Zolokoffer, also an offensive line target from Georgia. So several guys did make it in. And, and with what looked like a pretty shaky weather forecast going into the weekend, could have been a disaster for Tennessee on the recruiting front. They might not have gotten any of those guys on campus if the weather had played out differently. Um, but it looked like it was going to clear up and, and coaches kind of kept encouraging everyone to, to come in and it all worked out. And most of the guys that were scheduled to make it in did make it. So pretty successful weekend overall for Tennessee. And, and I think you have to be pretty encouraged by that if you're the Vol staff and, and going into that June period when visits will finally resume and in-person recruiting can start back up. You've now gotten a few guys on campus to kind of get things going a little bit more and maybe give you some momentum with some of those players that were here on Saturday. And Ryan, last thing I got, I, I think this was really impressive. And maybe this is something Tennessee has done before. So, it, you know, feel free to step in here if you say, hey, this is not a big deal, idiot West. They, they do this all the time. Uh, but Hypel putting having at least, you know, every all 10 members of his staff having at least some responsibilities to recruit in the state of Tennessee. I think says a lot about, you know, you'll never be able to build a wall or, you know, do the whole build a border around the state, keep everybody in. Everybody always says that nobody's able to ever, ever going to accomplish that in any state because kids always want to leave the state. Kids always want to go out of state for college. Sometimes you can't stop that. But uh, Tennessee being able to to put that much emphasis on the state uh, in recruiting with the staff, I, I think says a lot about what this staff thinks about this state and how it can build a roster, uh, not completely with this guys from this state, but the foundation can be this state. Yeah, for for sure, and that, that it's a it's not a unique move, but it is a it is a move that's not been made often enough at Tennessee in recent years. I would say uh, we did see Butch Jones's staff have a somewhat similar approach. If you remember, after Derek Dooley was fired, there were some stories that came out from some rural parts of Tennessee where coaches would kind of complained in a story or two that they never yeah. heard from Dooley staff and things like that. And, and Butch Jones's staff kind of went to the trouble of uh, assigning every part of the state to somebody. And I think they had all, all nine at the time, assistant coaches uh, ha have a, a territory in state uh, at some point within those first couple of years. Um, so it wasn't that way through his entire tenure, but I think it was for at least a couple of years. So it's been done, but not very often. And, and to, to your point, Josh Heupel's emphasized in-state recruiting from, from day one. He mentioned it in his introductory press conference. We've heard that before, but he's continued with that message, and I think he understands that with Tennessee being in a tough spot uh, right now, especially with the NCAA cloud hanging over the program, one of the best ways to, to build some, uh, some quality depth in the program and keep things afloat while they, they go through these troubled times is going to be to keep the growing talent in Tennessee in-state because these are this is a natural talent base for you much easier to win battles at home than it is in, in surrounding states where uh, where there are other in-state teams in those states to, to, to battle with. So I think they understand in-state recruiting is a big deal, especially with where Tennessee is right now. And they've continued to show that. And this is another example of yeah, those graphics they sent out on Monday showing at least two coaches in every geographic area they broke down from Memphis to East Tennessee. That's, that's a big deal. And I think a nice move by the staff to acknowledge the importance of the state in recruiting. I wish that there would be a way and it would be one, an ultimate PR win. And, and it, it may be hard because there's only so many days coaches can spend on the road. But if you could do something where you go to every single high school in the state over a calendar year, 
I think that would be something that that would be that would just be exceptional to see. It would be so hard to pull off for different reasons, but um, it would be neat if they could do something like that. Butch Jones' staff did something similar to that early on. I don't know if they ended up making it to every single high school in the state, but they made it to a large number of them uh, across the state early on. And it's yeah, it's not a bad move. I think at the very least, it's a dead period right now. Coaches can't go on the road for a little while still, but. Uh, I think you, you at least spend the spring calling around to each school, you know, and make touching base with them. It's an easy thing to do. And uh, even at schools that haven't put out a prospect in 15 years, you know, it's probably good to touch base and you never know. We're seeing more and more prospects pop up at these unfamiliar schools that don't aren't known for putting out big time talent, you know, Greenbrier high school in the Nashville area now has a 2023 target for Tennessee. I, I can't remember the last time Tennessee targeted someone from that school. So um, you're seeing more and more talent pop up everywhere. It's good to have relationships and at least be able to, to, to have some sort of uh, basic uh, level of communication with the, every coaching staff. So it's not a bad idea for sure. And even though it's a dead period, you can still, uh, you can still do things like that to kind of uh, get to know them and, and, and help to, to spread Tennessee's name uh, throughout the state because they obviously need all the, all the buzz they can get right now. Yeah. And not to bring up the, the, the ghosts of coaches past, but, I do think one of the the largest mistakes that that Dooley made during his tenure, the one that micromanaging is by far the the, the biggest one that he made. Um, obviously, the hire of Sanceri didn't work out, but another thing, a mistake that he made was I believe that he spent some time, you know, at LSU. He spent some time also being in that state at Louisiana Tech, and I think he thought of Tennessee as kind of an LSU state where it didn't have to always kind of you know do the whole you know, kissing babies and shaking hands and all that stuff. I think he thought that the clout would be larger than it was. Um, I think he just made the mistake of thinking or, or sort of assuming that Tennessee w- would have more advantages in state without having to work for it. Um, and, and I'm not saying that he thought it would be a gift wrapped or anything, but I, I, I just I think that was one mistake he made was he thought from his time in Louisiana that it would be sort of similar at Tennessee, and it really wasn't. Um, because they were not able to keep a lot of the guys, some of the very top guys in state, because that requires relationships. And, and now Tennessee produces arguably more talent than it has in the past. I don't, I mean, I could say arguably, but I'm pretty sure, Ryan, it, 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 yeah. it just generally speaking, it's still not and probably never will be, you know, a Florida, California, Louisiana, Texas, any Georgia, Alabama, anything of that sort, but is producing more players and, and certainly something that should help Tennessee in the long run. But I, I think. The, the, the bottom line is here, and we can, we can end it on this, uh, Heupel's not just saying that he cares about recruiting the state. I think he's putting things in place to show he means it. He is, and, and, and you know, this, this goes to how he's assembled even his recruiting office as well. Uh, you know, Scott Altizer, who is sort of overseeing, uh, I think he, his, his title involves uh, director of relations or high school relations, something to that effect. His job in recruiting, though, and in, in the Tennessee's recruiting office is largely focused on in-state relationships and, and relationships with former players and things like that. But a lot of it's in-state. And so when you, when you put that into the, along with everything else, everything else you're seeing and hearing from Josh Heupel, um, they are, they really are putting a lot of eggs in the in-state basket. And I think that's smart um, because with the state, you know, as you said, putting out as much talent as it is on a regular basis. And, and I, I think it's to the point this staff feels it can sign 10 or 12 players in-state every single year, uh, certainly for these first few years, at least while they, uh, try to get things back on track. And I think they feel that's a, a huge piece of what they're going to need to turn around this program. So why not put a ton of time and energy into it? It makes sense. And I think it's a pretty safe approach given what this state has turned into in recruiting over the past uh, seven or eight years. I think that's a good place to leave it, Ryan, unless you got anything else. 
no, that's uh, that's good for me, and uh, hopefully you're uh, hopefully you feel start to feel better here in the next uh, next day or two, and you can uh, I'd say get back out there and watch football, but we've got to wait a few more months for that. Yeah, my goal is to uh, get through the outro of this podcast with only three or four major mistakes, uh, which would yeah. be a win compared to the way some of the other. Uh, buffers have gone with this episode then after that it's to uh, publish this podcast and write the teaser and then probably go right back to bed that those are my goals for the rest of this day and then we will see how it goes from there but thanks for joining us ryan we appreciate it man absolutely thanks for uh thanks for mustering up the courage and getting out of bed to to do it we oh, appreciate it come on it's it's work man i'm not this isn't <laughs> this isn't like this isn't hard <laughs> it's talking in front of a microphone and hitting some buttons i think we'll be okay you know i don't think we're going to be getting any any patches of bravery for that or medals of honor but uh thanks ryan appreciate it man anytime and you know what thank y'all for listening we say it all the time and gosh darn it we mean it thank you thank you for being a part of this podcast Apologies for for being a bit later than normal getting this one out, but uh, I think we explained why that happened, and uh, hopefully that will not happen again. We will not be getting that chicken again anytime soon, I can tell you that much. Guys, thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news on your Twitter feed, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7, and that page is updated pretty much around the clock, uh, at least once an hour, all day, every day, tons of stuff on there. But the best place to go for that delicious East Tennessee mountain spring water, just unfiltered right from the tap. Go get that goodness at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get your your, your daily intake, your hourly intake, your minute-by-minute intake just funneled straight into you. The, the, the news on Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, obviously a ton of stuff going on there, good stuff. Also, Lady Vols coverage with Maria Cornelius. They've had a big-time hire there recently. Uh, maybe didn't make the waves that, uh, you know, Mulkey coming back to the SEC or going to LSU. That's 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 big news for, for all things uh, Tennessee basketball, for all things Lady Vols, SEC basketball, tons. That's a shockwave move there. But uh, Tennessee Lady Vols have also had a pretty good offseason, and that is worth discussing. Tons of good stuff there. we got two forms that run around the clock. we got the Summit. we got the Checkerboard. All kinds of good stuff on there, as long as it's not political or religious in nature guys fire away that's what we're there for just about 24 hours a day seven days a week that's why we call it 24 7 we will be up we will be there to talk to you on the board answer your questions talk to you about whatever you need to uh if you're still in an area that's got a bunch of quarantine stuff going on you need that uh that 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 sort of interaction that human interaction kind of a digital water cooler go to goball247.com click on the forums go check it out we got a great thing going on there we keep it a little bit cleaner than others we try to but we also have a good time so go check us out there uh, and if you are a full paying member for us and by the way you can get all that for less than the one mediocre lunch per month that's all it costs you it's a ridiculous deal and you can also try it for a week for free no big deal always try it that way Uh, We also got other deals that go on through the month, but there's never a bad time. There's never a time where we don't have a deal for you to come check out the site. And if you pay us full price, you get access to Paramount Plus, which used to be CBS All Access, but now it's Paramount Plus, and it has so many things, movies, shows, just everything, guys. It, It is a huge, huge streaming platform that's adding new stuff all the time and just so many things from so many networks, so many movies. 
live sports, including Tennessee sports, you got to go check it out. Please go check it out. You get all of it for free if you're a full-paying member of GoBoss247.com, which is, again, less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. So go check that out. Uh, if nothing else, you should hear from us uh, on Thursday. If my body will stay in one piece until then, we can hope that will happen. Until then, guys, wash your freaking hands. You know, wear your freaking masks. Wash your freaking hands. Again, wash them twice. Wear your masks. Be good to each other. Get the vaccine. We'll see you soon. PSA out. See you. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.